podcast, I want to remind everyone that the Ivy Sports Podcast feed is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe to be notified of all new podcasts from the Ivy Network. This includes the Backbook Cover, Ivy Sports Weekly Gambling Podcast, the Team Turnbuckle Podcast, Ivy Sports Weekly uh, Wrestling Podcast, the RC Report uh, with RC, the College Football Podcast, and as well as podcast. The weekly daily fantasy podcast with yours truly, Keith Fleming and Joe Matz. You can also follow Ivy Sports on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We do have a premium membership that allows you to post without it being approved by an admin. You can be commissioner for a day, uh, receive gambling picks, levy fines, and much more. And with that, we are back for another edition of the weekly Daily Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, Keith Fleming. With me, as always, Joe Matz. Joe, uh, I thought it couldn't get any more depressing last week for my Falcons. <laughs> I was wrong. My Falcons blew yet another just horrific game. And then your Giants, so I thought they were going to at least be competitive against you know the 49ers walking dead and exact opposite. I know it was. <laughs> this was the one week. I, well, I guess I kind of thought we had a shot with the Bears, and then this week I was like, "Ah, oh, everyone's hurt. Like we could do this." And then went off the rails real fast. It was it was rough. Uh, I, I'm at a loss for words now. Uh, Dan Quinn can kiss my ass. Arthur Blank <laughs> can kiss my ass for not firing him. Uh, but the good news is, I will admit, I paid more attention to fantasy football this week because my uh, interest in my Atlanta Falcons is wavering. Uh, I'm pretty much disgusted at this point. Last week was actually not nearly as good of a week as our first week. We did have some, I know, some big hits. I, I gave you Russell Wilson. He was my favorite play at quarterback. That's that's the one bright spot for my picks was my top play at quarterback. He had 34 points. At running back, I think Taylor had like 16, and at receiver, Metcalf had 21. I would have much rather have given you Lockett, who I was close uh, to giving it was like every time I turned around, Lockett had another touchdown. Metcalf had 21 points to suck, despite his just boneheaded play that would have cost uh, at least another six. He would have had 27 points, but um, it is what it is. You know how it is in fantasy. Not every week is going to be great. Uh, I do want to say though that uh, looking back at our picks, a lot of our picks they weren't terrible. They just didn't have big weeks. Uh, like the week before, like I was, for instance, looking at like our tight ends. I know that, um, you know, I gave both um, Noah Fant and Dalton Schultz. They both had like nine, 10 points, which you would take at a tight end that you're spending 5,400 or 4,500 on. Uh, I know one of your defenses, the Buccaneers went bananas, which is great. Uh, but this week we're getting into week four. You're starting to be able to see a lot more of in my opinion, true trends where you kind of know what defenses are bad. And uh, I was explaining this to a friend of mine the other day doing Daily Fantasy really for the first time that I told him if I look over there and I see all red matchups, you're probably going to have a hard time doing really well. You want to look for guys that you both want to target. And you want to also make sure that that position is scoring well against them, especially as the season continues to go on because that's a pattern. Uh, and starting this week was the first week that I really started looking out for that where I wanted to go to guys that I knew were playing teams that, that struggle. We'll start with quarterbacks, and, man, you cannot get any more struggle 
against quarterbacks in my Atlanta Falcons pass defense. Rodgers is $7,100. Not only is he looking just, I mean, honestly, it looks like he's pissed off. Maybe the smartest thing they ever did was drafting a quarterback uh, because he seems to be playing angry. Um, he's $7,100. The Falcons defense through three games. Now, granted, they've played some good quarterbacks, but still. They gave up 322 yards and four touchdowns to Russell Wilson, 450 yards and one touchdown through the air to Dak Prescott. Oh, by the way, he also had three rushing touchdowns. And then the coup de grace, 316 yards and four touchdowns. And Mitch Trubisky actually was having a decent game before he went out because he had a 45-yard run. And then big dick Nick Foles came in (laughs) and just torched us. Uh, for three more touchdowns, all in the fourth quarter, all in the span of six minutes. That's an average of 350 yards and three touchdowns per game. Rodgers is coming in averaging just under 300 yards per game. He has nine TDs in those three games. Do not overthink this. The Falcons' secondary is trash. Uh, We've actually not been terrible against the run. We've played some good running backs. They really haven't done anything. Part of that is because I think teams are having so much success throwing it that why would they want to try to run it? Uh, I do think Jones is going to get in the mix, but I think it's more from a passing standpoint, which he's shown he can do that as well. I can almost guarantee you Aaron Rodgers will have at least 275 yards, at least two to three touchdowns. And the longer this stays a game, the more his stats are going to be better. We've been awful in the second half. So I love Aaron Rodgers at 7,100 bucks this week. Who's your first quarterback? Oh uh, yeah, r- real quick. One of my few hits last week was just going with Allen Robinson because yep. just take Falcons. somebody, take somebody against like, that Falcons dude. He had like thirty points. That was a great play. Um, so this week I'm going with Deshaun Watson. You know, I, I think we're all kind of forgetting about him right now just because the Texans have been bad. He's been okay. They got a really been, tough schedule too. Yeah, Kansas City, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. <laughs> the opening of the best three defenses in the league. And Kansas City's been pretty solid, especially against the pass so far this year. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> as, as as good for the rest of NFL if they can play defense. Yeah, it's it's over if they can play good defense. But so I forgot Watson. He's playing Minnesota, who's been a gift that keeps on giving this year. Um, let's see, Minnesota this year, they've only got three sacks on the season, which that's the one thing that usually slows Watson down is gets a lot of pressure. He's taking sacks and their DBs have been rough. They've got all new DBs this year. Everyone left in free agency. So I think Deshaun's a really good play at 6,600 too. I mean, you think about if you'd thought like four weeks ago, Deshaun Watson's going to be, you know, the 10th or 12th most expensive guy in a given week. You're always going to feel good about that. So I, you know, I it's think also he, a must win game, which that can't be yeah. overlooked. They have to win this. They're not dead because their division's not great, but uh, you would have to think in a must win game, Watson's going to be the game plan. They're not going to mess around with David Johnson. They're going to do what they do best, which is throwing the football. Exactly. And Will Fuller's has shown some life as long as he can stay upright and on the field. So He's going to come up again in the receivers, I think. Uh, I know one of the guys that we both have is Joe Burrow, right, at 6,300. Yeah. Um, 
In three games, Jacksonville's defense has made Philip Rivers. Ryan Tannehill does not belong in this list. And Ryan Fitzpatrick looked really good. Uh, Fitzpatrick had two passing touchdowns last week, plus 37 yards rushing and a touchdown. I'm looking at it that, A, Burrow, I mean, he's shown he can throw the ball. He's been extremely consistent. I think he's averaged like right around 20 points each game, which for what you're paying for him, 6300 bucks, that's nothing. And I actually see him to run a little bit more this week at home, uh, especially, again, with Fitzpatrick having 37 yards and a, t- a touchdown. I'm sure Burrow is looking at that game tape going, I can run. Uh, I can get some yardage here. And honestly, the run game for Cincinnati has been atrocious. Uh, and also the defense has been atrocious. So those are both things that are going to just allow Burrow to continue chucking it. I love him at 6,300. Yeah, I'm all the way with you. He's probably my favorite player at QB this week. He's the ninth QB in fantasy scoring on DraftKings so far this year. Like you said, week one, we saw his legs a little bit. We haven't seen it much the last two weeks, but that's because he's passed for 300 yards both weeks. <laughs> The Jags are dead last in passing DVOA. And if we're going old school QB rating, their opponents have put up an 118.6 QB rating. So basically, if you play the Jags, you are playing at an MVP level. Yeah, perfect. Like like one of those QBs is Ryan Fitzpatrick. So it's not, this is not like Houston where you're going through Kansas City, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. This is Tennessee. Tannehill's been good. Rivers actually was the one guy who they actually contained somewhat. And then they were off for 300 yards. Yeah. So as long as Burrow avoids turnovers, I think he has a huge game. Who's your third guy? So uh, my third guy this week, speaking of, is Fitzpatrick. We we were joking (laughs) earlier this week. I said he's had back-to-back good weeks. That means this week's going to be trash. (laughs) That could still be true. He's playing Seattle, and they do have four interceptions through three weeks, so they have shown the ability to pick QBs off, and obviously Fitzpatrick any given week could be thrown four on his own. But at the same time, the Seahawks have given up 400-plus passing yards twice this year. In the other game, they gave up 397. (laughs) Jamal Adams is banged up. He might not play. If he does, again, he might not be 100% then. Fitzpatrick's had good back-to-back weeks. He threw 300 yards two weeks ago. We just talked about how he was really effective against the Jaguars. And, I mean, he's going to be passing. It's not like they're going to contain the Seattle offense. So he's going to be throwing 35, 40 times minimum. So he could throw a lot of picks, but he could also throw for 300 yards and give you three touchdowns. At 5,400, you're rolling the dice. So if you're rolling the dice, I like Fitzpatrick down there. My other guy is 500 more than Fitzpatrick. It's Matthew Stafford. He's at 5,900. He's quietly been really good this year in three starts. He's had five touchdowns, averaging 275 per game. And what has kind of gone lost is he's done it against three really good defenses. He's done it against the Cardinals, the Bears, and the Packers, who have all been pretty good on defense this year, pretty good against the pass. Uh, the Saints defense has not looked great this year. Um, we should have known when the Raiders and, and Carr was just torching them uh, on Monday night a few weeks ago, and then they, they reiterated that with their performance this past week. I expect Stafford to have a good day through the air. And, again, the great thing about kind of like with Fitzpatrick, 
let's say the script does not go the Lions' way and the Saints end up playing their most complete game, that's good for Stafford as your fantasy quarterback because it only means he's going to throw more late and there's more opportunities for him to, you know, basically pick up garbage time points. Moving on to the running back, you know, you talk about Fitzpatrick's due for a bad game. Alvin Kamara's due for a bad game, but I don't care at $8,000. He has six touchdowns in three games, which most impressive because Daily Fantasy is a PPR league. He has 27 receptions, 22 in the last two games. I know people say, but Michael Thomas is coming back, but... I think the Saints realize they need Kamara more than ever now. Breeze does not look like a guy who can throw the ball down the field anymore. So I think if anything, Thomas should help Kamara have more running room because they're going to be running, you know, separate routes where say uh, Thomas brings the defense across, you know, the middle of the field and then Kamara is going to slip out of the backfield to the sidelines. They're going to use these guys both for short passes because that seems to be the only way that they can do it. And running backs have had success against the line catching passes. They're averaging almost 10 yards a game per three game or through the first three games for opposing running backs against the Lions, catches balls out of the backfield. They've not even been a stout defense against the run either. I know Kamara's expensive at $8,000, but again, he has 22 catches in the last two games. That is 22 points without any yardage in a daily fantasy league. I just can't not take that at $8,000 when your average receiver is $7,400, and it's a lot, you know, top-notch receiver, and it's a lot more likely that Kamara gets in the end zone with both the ability to catch passes and run it. I actually would spend more on the running back this week with Kamara. Who's your first guy? Uh, real quick, yeah, I almost went with him, <laughs> him last week, so I didn't want to be an asshole who just keeps taking an $8,000 running back. But, yeah, absolutely. Like I said last week, for whoever the Lions were playing, they were giving up six and a half yards per carry to running backs. It's down to 6.1 now in three weeks. So, so yeah, Kamara, number one overall guy. If you're breaking the bank on anyone, it should be him. But going down a little bit of ways, I like Jonathan Taylor at 6,600 against the Bears. The Bears have been a good defense, as you just mentioned. But one of the keys is they've been much better against the pass. They've given up 4.9 yards per carry to running backs this year. They're giving up 119 yards per game. So the opportunity is there. And again, they've been better against the pass. So if the Colts are smart, they're going to lean more on Taylor. They're not going to risk Phillip Rivers throwing them out of this game like he did against the Jags. And also, I don't expect the Bears to put up a lot of points in this game. Granted, it's been early, but the Colts are the number one defense in yardage so far this year. They're one or two in points allowed. I don't think the the Bears score a lot of points. So that means you're going to lean even heavier on the run game. I like Jonathan Taylor a lot this week. I did say Todd Gurley was averaging six yards a carry and had almost 80 yards against them last week. Uh, Todd Gurley is not. The same type running back. So I love that. James Robinson's my next play at 6,500. He's coming off back-to-back 100-yard performances, facing a Bengals defense that we spoke about. It's just awful. It's been shredded by opposing teams' running backs. I expect Robinson to score points both on the ground and through the air. He's really, especially – early at least in this season, I think it's going to continue. They're really only consistent offensive weapon. And 
I think they have a chance to win this game. Obviously, the closer the game is, the more likely he's going to continue to get touches running the ball. But the good thing about Robinson is he's a great uh, pass catcher as well. So if they do get down, it's not like he's going to lose a ton of opportunities. A lot of people worried that Chris Thompson was going to be in that role. Robinson actually has more catches and more targets through three games than Chris Thompson. So he basically is also the third down back and the lead down or lead back. He's been a sleeper extraordinaire for people who drafted him in yearly fantasy leagues. Yeah, I'm kind of kicking myself for not uh, going hard to get him in uh, like late uh, after week one because he was still there mm-hmm. in most leagues. So, and I was like, ah, it's the Jags. I don't trust yeah. Jags, but. Yeah, one of my regrets in a weekly fantasy or yearly fantasy. So let's see. My next guy, I I rode with him last week. It didn't work out too well, but Kenyon Drake. Last week he only put up 8.9 points, which isn't great, but he had 19 touches. So the opportunity was there. The reality is he he was okay on those 19 touches, 79 yards. Problem is, it was only one reception, didn't get in the end zone. But he's dominating the backfield in Arizona. He's got Carolina this week. (laughs) Carolina has been very giving on the ground. Uh, I covered this last week. They had given up 100% success in power situations. So one or two yards to go, third, fourth down, or goal line. It is still 100%. A week later, they've given up seven rushing touchdowns on the year. Um, the Chargers only scored 16 points against them last week, but they still were giving up five yards per carry, 102 yards on the ground, and a touchdown. The only reason the Chargers didn't score a bunch of points in the Panthers, they turned the ball over too much, four mm-hmm. turnovers. Kyler had a bad turnover week last week, but I don't expect that to happen again. So I think Drake's going to have a lot of opportunity. I think he gets in the end zone this week. So I th- I think he's getting an easy 15 this week with the opportunity for more. So my low-tier guy at running back is also a Cardinals running back. And I know this is a huge flyer, but Chase Edmonds is at $4,200. It's a little dangerous because he's only averaging like six and a half touches per game. But the Panthers have given up seven touchdowns through three games on the ground, more encouraging is the fact that several opponents have had multiple backs have good games fantasy-wise against the Panthers. You remember both Jones and uh, what's the Jaguar? Fournette both had touchdowns in the Buccaneers game. Uh, both of the Chargers running backs last week had good games as Kelly had over, I think, 60 yards rushing. Eckler not only had the rushing yards, the other big thing was he had a ton of catches Out of the backfield, I think he had like nine catches for 84 yards. Edmonds is electric, and I could see Edmonds taking one to the house, whether that be a carry or a pass catch. And the other big thing is the Panthers are really bad. I think the Cardinals are actually a good football team. I expect them to be up early. That would mean it's more likely that Edmonds gets to that, say, 10 to 12 touches in this game. Uh, Because the ceiling has been six, the most has been nine, so he's been pretty consistent. But I could see him having more. And again, for $4,200, and the fact that this run defense is so bad, and for Edmonds owners from last year, they know that he can take any ball to the house at any time. Uh, I'm going to take a gamble on this, because this is one of those guys, again, for $4,200, 
he could have, you know, an 80-yard touchdown run, a 60-yard touchdown pass. If he gets you 15, 20 points, now you're really into a good lineup because you spent so little money on it. I'm going to take a flyer week this, uh, this week with Evans, at least one of my lineups, maybe a couple. Yeah, I mean, in a, one of my season-long ones, I have Chase Evans on my team because he is electric, and if if Drake ever goes down or maybe later in this season he's getting more work, I he's definitely a guy who can always take one in the house. And to your point, pair him with Kamara. Mm-hmm. You know, spend 80, well, that'd be 80 or 1,220. Yep. Like that's all right. That's two six thousand dollar backs, and you're guaranteed a big week with Kamara. So, I like that play. Um, I have an interesting play this week for my third tier guy. I'm going with Miles Gaskin at five thousand. Now the risk here is Seattle's actually been they've been giving up four hundred yards passing a week, but their run D has been excellent. But the upside to Gaskin is he's been getting a lot of receptions. He actually leads the Dolphins in receptions this year. He's scored 10-plus every week because DraftKings is PPR. And he his carries went way up last week. He had 16 carries combined the first two weeks, 22 last week. So there's a chance he's a stranglehold now. We'll find out this week in that backfield. And regardless, he is the receiving back in Miami. Again, there's a reason I said Fitzpatrick earlier. They're going to be losing. They're going to be passing a lot. Miles Gaskin's like a guaranteed five receptions. So you're go- I think you get double-digit points. Again, he's done it every week. I don't see why that changes for 5,000. And if he's- he hasn't scored a touchdown yet. So he's getting 10 a week just on receptions and yardage. He scores a touchdown. You're going to be in a really good spot only spending 5,000 there. So moving on to receiver, my first guy is probably a little dangerous. It's Julio Jones. Now, obviously, you need to check the injury report before you make that decision, but he is at $7,100. That is the lowest I've seen Julio Jones, and I don't know how long. Mm. You normally can never get a guy of Julio's caliber for that price. And again, I know this isn't from this season, but in his last three games versus the Packers, he has 22 catches for 400 yards and four touchdowns. I can tell you as a Falcons fan, Julio consistently torches Green Bay. He's had two really good games in Lambeau, which is where the game's going to be this week, including in 2018. He had, like, I think it was a seven-catch, 180-yard, two-touchdown performance. Uh, And then, unfortunately, as I just said, the Falcons' defense is terrible. They are going to be down. They're going to be throwing a lot. And if Julio is healthy, this is a must-win game, or the Falcons season is officially over. Typically, under Quinn, when the Falcons need a win, you will see Julio's targets and plays that are ran for him only go up. I expect him to come out and have a really big game I love Julio Jones this week. And, again, you're normally paying almost $8,000 for Julio most weeks. You're getting him for $7,100. I'm sure part of that is for the injury tag, so please be sure to follow that. But it, And I'll talk about this in my flex, but it's Monday night. So, worst case, you have Calvin Ridley that you can put in there at $7,200. So, if you want to do that, you can. If you want to insert Gage instead, he's had some good games. The Packers actually obviously have a bunch of good options. So even if you use Julio going into Monday night and have to make a late change, there's plenty of options in that game and a game that there's going to be a lot of passing yards. 
Yeah, that's I think we've said this every week except last week because they were playing Chicago, but like Atlanta play Atlanta's receivers almost every week, play whoever's playing Atlanta every week. <laughs> like you you'll set yourself up well. So my first guy down at 6,700 is Cooper Cup. And I don't feel great about it because he's playing my Giants, but that's the way this season is trending. And one of the interesting things about the Giants is looking at our pass defense. We've had a bad pass defense, but we've been fourth against tight ends so far. I don't know if that's going to keep up, but that tells you, all right, you know, you might not be seeing a big game there and then james bradbury has actually totally lived up to his contract thus far this year he's third in pff for corners so far he's probably gonna be on robert woods so you're looking at a small game for the tight end you're looking at robert woods having a tough matchup who's cooper cup against fourth round rookie darnay holmes was the 107th ranked pff corner so far this year I mean, Cooper Cup's going to score a touchdown in this game. It's going to happen. He's probably going to get around 100 yards because this Giants D is bad, and he's got the best matchup. Cooper Cup at 6,700, I think. He's scoring. He's going to be a top five wide receiver this week. I'm calling it now. Just go all in against anyone in the slot against the Giants. That's the rule. And he's had kind of a quiet start to this season. I won't say disappointing, but I definitely say that it, it's you know it's not been what we we would like from him uh, thus far. But I'm with you that I think he's well overdue. And I forgot about the fact that you know they have one good corner. He's going to follow Woods. That's that's going to leave Cup uh, Cooper up open for a lot of plays. We talked about the Texans and we mentioned Will Fuller earlier. I think he's on your list as well, right? Uh, he's actually not, but oh, okay. I'm again, sorry, I have, I I'm in under Sean, so, <laughs> so I'm with So we him. got, I have Will Fuller at 5,900. It needs to be reminded he got hurt very early in one game this season, so that game really doesn't count. They're averaging him at 12.2 points per game. Actually, if you look at the two games he's played, in two games he has 12 receptions for 160 yards and a touchdown. The Vikings secondary is trash. It's trash. Yep. These are the guys that have had either a 100 yards – and a touchdown, or possibly both. Valdez Scantling from uh, Green Bay. Allie Cox, the tight end from Indianapolis. And Khalif Raymond last week for the Titans. The Vikings <laughs> secondary is trash. And we know that Will Fuller has the ability to have huge games. Um, he is a ultimate boomer bust guy. But he has been the most targeted receiver in both games he plays. I think the Texans are going to be throwing a lot. This is a must-win game for them. Now, obviously, you got to worry about Fuller getting hurt. That's always a deal. But I love Will Fuller at 5,900. And the great thing about him is I think out of their guys, no offense to Cooks and their other receivers, but he is the most likely to have that big game like the rest of those. And if you're going, well, those are all non-one receivers. Do not forget that Devontae Adams had over 190 yards and two touchdowns against them week one. So, they can give up receiving yards in a lot of places. I love Will Fuller at 5,900. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I'm in on Deshaun, and if I'm betting on anybody, I'm, I'm with you. It's Will Fuller most likely got to benefit from that awful Vikings defense. 
So right below him at 5,800, I've got Odell Beckham Jr. It's definitely been a disappointing year for him so far. I can say that for sure because I have him in two season-long fantasy leagues. I Shoot, I don't even know if I played him in one of the leagues last week because I was not feeling him last week. But this week, he's got the Dallas Cowboys. And you may remember that his most famous moment in the NFL came against the Dallas Cowboys. And honestly, they had better DBs back then. The Cowboys are giving up nearly 300 yards a game. They are tied for last with nine receiving touchdowns allowed this season. Their offense has obviously been productive, so that means you're going to be in a situation where the Browns will likely have to go out of their run-run-pass offense. And even if they don't, it's not like Beckham hasn't been getting the targets. He has nine more targets than anyone else in the Browns. Last week, he had six targets. Not awesome, but 16.7 air yards on those targets. So he's getting the passes downfield in that Browns offense. So I, and again, Cowboys defense, they've been giving up a lot. If you're betting on anyone in that Browns team to do it, it's going to be OBJ. And I just trust him against the Cowboys. (laughs) I wish he was still in the Giants. That would actually help me. But I, I think this is the week we see OBJ bust out. And then if you're in season-long fantasy, that means next week might be the week you want to trade him. I, I completely agree. Uh, OBJ has been obviously a disappointment, but I think that's been more on Mayfield, who has been – he's been yeah. bad this year, but the Cowboys should be the medicine for that because every team that's played the Cowboys has looked great throwing the ball. Uh, I expect that to continue – and Landry just doesn't look like the same receiver. So it's going to obviously be OBJ is going to be the guy getting the most looks at it. Uh, my, my find for receivers is Braxton Berrios for the New York Jets. Don't look now, but for 4,600, you are getting the number one receiver for the Jets. He has 10 catches for 160 yards and two touchdowns the last two weeks. And again, he's facing a very bad Bengals defense on a short week. Or no, excuse me, not a short week, but they are playing the Bengals, right? Or did I get that mixed up? I may have got that mixed up. Shoot, look. We were just talking about whoever was I playing. know. I feel bad. No, it's the Jags have the Bengals. This That's time. right. So uh, the Jets, I think they have a bad defense, too, if I remember correctly. Because I remember looking at it and going, man, this is a good matchup. But either way, they don't really have anybody to throw it to at this point. And as you can see, the last two weeks with all the injuries – I mean, they're running Frank Gore at running back, which God knows what you're doing. I mean, you're basically in a tanking situation. you got to have some young running backs you can use, but they are dead set on Frank Gore. They have all these receivers that are injured, including Crowder. Barrios, somebody's going to get the ball. The Jets are going to be down. That's that's what they do. And I expect Barrios to, again, to have he had – Six targets last week, he turned it into four catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. The week before, he had 10 targets. He turned that into seven, or, uh, excuse me, six catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. Barros is a guy right now, again, at $4,600, who you can play with confidence knowing that he's practically a number one receiver, and he is playing the Denver Broncos at home, excuse me, who they have not looked great, and it is on a short week because that is the Thursday night game. Typically, the Thursday night home team does well. That is why I like Barros as my third receiver. Who is yours? 
Um, so the one giant I am buying into this week is Golden Tate. Now, last week I said Ingram and Slayton were the guys I would generally buy into, but this week it's it's just like Bradbury is going to be on uh, Woods. You've got Jalen Ramsey, who's probably going to be on Slayton. So I don't think Slayton's going to have much of a week. I also don't think the Giants are going to be able to block Aaron Donald at all. So that means you're going to see more shorter passes. Golden Tate's going to be in the slot. Troy Hill's really struggled this year for the Rams in the slot. And Tate, he's played two games this year. He's had five receptions in both. So you're getting a minimum you're looking at four or five receptions, so he's going to have opportunity. The big question at any Giants player you're going with, the odds of them finding the end zone do not look very high right now, so that's the risk there. But if Tate can find the end zone, you're going to have a good week at 4,600. I like that play because I think he's probably the number one option in that Giants offense this week. And this is and again, a Rams defense that has given up some points. Unlike yeah. some of the last teams that the Giants have played, this team, I mean, like the Steelers don't give up points. You know, the Niners don't. The Rams have a good defense, but they give up points. I mean, they just gave up 30-something to Buffalo. And again, the Giants' run game has been like the worst run game in the league, so they're passing 38 times a week. So the opportunity is going to be there. So starting at tight end, this is probably my favorite play of any position for the value getting. I'm going to think about using him in flex in some positions. Darren Waller is 5,200. People are going to go, wait a minute, last week he did nothing. And that is true. But what does New England do? What have they always done? They take your best weapon and they take it away. And that's exactly what they did, was they took Darren Waller completely away. The previous two games, Waller had 17 catches on 24 targets, 165 yards and a touchdown. That is 12 targets a game. That is good for a tight end. That's good for a receiver. That's good for anybody. That's a lot of opportunities. And he now faces a Bills team that has allowed at least 50 yards or a touchdown to every tight end that they played this season. Uh, Last week against the Rams, they gave up 90 yards and a touchdown. Now, that was combined. I think Hibby had like 45 yards. Everett had, I think, around 45 yards as well and a touchdown. But they have been really bad. They seem to be the Cardinals of last year where you would just put in (laughs) whoever was playing them at tight end and know you're going to have a good week. Well, not only are you getting that defense, you're getting arguably the tight end that is the most important piece in an offense because Darren Waller is – Him and Josh Jacobs are their offense. Jacobs is the run, and Waller is the pass. So I expect Waller to be targeted a lot, unless Buffalo has figured something out and they didn't prove last week that they have. They're going to continue to get beaten by tight ends. And Carr has actually been really accurate this year. They haven't been asking him to throw it down the field very much, but that's not where Waller's running anyway. I love Waller at 5,200. Yeah, I got to play the fool last week by betting against Bill Belichick taking away the number one option. I considered it, and I was like, no, Waller's getting – he's their number one guy. They'll find a way. They did not at all. But, yeah, Mike Gusecki put up eight receptions, 130 yards, and a touchdown two weeks ago against the Bills. Waller's better than he is. The Raiders have a better offense. Bet on Waller. That's the bonus to me being so wrong last week. Waller's $500 cheaper this week. Mm -hmm. So I'll skip down to my number two, which is TJ Hawkinson at $4,800. 
Speaking of defenses that have not covered tight ends, the Saints are dead last in covering tight ends this year in fantasy. Now, some of that was that they did play Waller two weeks ago on Monday night, but they also gave up five receptions for 50 yards and a touchdown to Robert Tanyan, Green Bay Packers, who I did not know existed until last week. Jay Sternberger also added 36 yards in that game. And then Hawkinson, every single week, five receptions, 50 yards. He's had at least that every week this season. You mentioned Stafford seems to be heating up. Galladay is going to take some some targets, but he's also going to open up the field for Hawkinson. We saw a little bit of that last week. I think Galladay week two is going to be even better. So I love Hawkinson at 4,800. My next guy, and you're probably going to laugh, but I have Evan Ingram again, 4,400. He's still averaging seven targets a game. Right. I mean, that, that needs to be reminded of. Yes, he hasn't really done anything, but he's averaging seven targets a game. He faces a Rams team that is giving up 15 catches for 165 yards and two touchdowns in three games. And they haven't really played a murderer's row of tight ends yet either. Uh, I expect the Giants to be down a lot. I expect, as you said, Aaron Donald and the front four of the Rams to be in Danny Dimes' face a lot. So that is good for Golden Tate. That is also good for Evan Ingram. I expect him to make the most of the situation. And the difference between Ingram and Tate is Ingram is still athletic enough to where he can break a play and turn a seven-yard slant or a hook into a huge play potentially for a touchdown. I think he might could do that this week. And again, garbage time counts at 4,400. I mean, that that's nothing. You're getting a guy with seven targets against a bad tight end defense. I like that matchup. Yeah, well, like I said, he's, it's not going to be a lot of time for Danny Dimes. So get the ball out quick. Um, for my third guy, I'm just riding him every week until he hits. Logan Thomas, 3,500. He's had 24 targets this year. Only Kelsey and Waller have more at the tight end position. And uh, speaking of Evan Ingram, so far this year, Logan Thomas has one more reception two fewer yards, and one more touchdown than Evan Ingram. He costs $900 less. He's on my, my list, too. And, and I, I'm going to explain it for a different reason. He has been consistent. He's had four catches on eight targets for three games and somewhere in that 25, 30 to 40-yard range. So the worst case, you're talking about a guy that's going to get you six to seven points. That's, that's worst case. Yeah. And then if he adds a touchdown like he did in week one, you're in the 12 to 14 range. And now you're talking about a guy she got for $3,500 getting you 12 to 14 points. And the big thing you're saying is he's getting all these targets. And it's like, that's how you get receptions. Um, they are not playing, again, a great you know defense. And unfortunately for Washington fans, Haskins does not throw the ball down the field. That means that Logan Thomas is going to get a lot of looks. I love him. I mean, I think that in any play, even if, say, you want to load up a team and then throw him at flex, I don't think it's a terrible option because, again, no. you're getting in for $3,500. Go look at the other names just from $3,500 to $4,500 and tell me where somebody's going to have that many opportunities to touch the football 
and is obviously a red zone weapon. And what is he, six, 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 seven? I mean, he's a big dude. Um, I love Logan Thomas. I think that's the, a great, the great only play. other play I would put at $3,500 is a defense. Exactly. There's you not a single guy I would feel good about. Um, so just real quickly, because I know I apologize we didn't do it last week, but I do have a couple of flex guys I want to mention. If you have anyone you want to add, go right ahead. Calvin Ridley, I talked about a little bit, but for 7,500, he's 400 more than Julio. He's had at least 10 targets in all three games, over 100 yards. He's got four scores. If Julio doesn't play, he's an absolute must-start in every league. He has become the Michael Thomas of the last few years where you know he's going to get a ton of targets, a ton of catches, and if he scores a touchdown, you're probably going to have a guy with like 9, 10 receptions, 100 yards, and a touchdown. You can't beat that. Uh, and again, the Falcons will probably be down and throwing a lot. I love Devin Singletary at 5,900. He has been really yeah. consistent the last three weeks, but unable to find the end zone. That's more bad luck than anything. In each of his starts, he's improved in his total yardage. He had 50 yards in week one, 75 in week two, and 120 this last week. He is facing a terrible Raiders defense that allowed Burkhead to score several times last week. Singletary can do a lot of the things Burkett can do, but is a lot more athletic, a lot more difficult to tackle. I expect him to be a very big part of their game plan this week, and I expect him to be a factor. The last guy is the wide receiver, Devontae Parker, at 5,700. Parker has gotten off to a slow start, but again, consistency. He is somebody that caught at least five passes in each game. And this week he faces a Seahawks defense that is not the Legion of Boom, as Joe was talking about earlier. They are dead last in fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Parker is probably the number one option for Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, if he's not throwing it to a running back or a tight end. And again, if they get down early, which we think that's probably going to be what happens with the way Seattle's offense has been and Miami's defense not being very good, they're going to only throw more that are just four-speed Parker. I could see him getting 10 to 12 targets this week. And again, for $5,700, you're basically getting a number one receiver on an offense. It's going to be down. I like that play. Yeah, I, I like those picks. Like I said, anybody on Atlanta or Green Bay, just throw them in. Um, let's see. So I was going to say, Lazard is 5500 this week. He's had two good games. Uh, the Falcons obviously have struggled with big receivers uh, this year. We've struggled with all receivers, but particularly bigger ones. Um, I, I just, again, you can't go wrong with any of those guys. Is there any other guys that I mentioned before we get to the defenses that you'd want to mention? I'm sorry, I put um, you on the spot there. I'll throw, I'll throw two in here. Yeah. Um, this is obviously a little weird because of the Pittsburgh-Tennessee game. I think well, they're probably playing that on Tuesday, it sounds like. So, so they are going to do that. See, I wasn't sure about that. Oh, so yeah. I, so, obviously, this is all dependent on exactly right, yeah. what out. But I like James Conner against that Tennessee defense. Conner, you know, week one, he didn't look good. He got banged up. They didn't play him in the second half. He's been awesome since then. Uh, last week, 109 yards on 18 carries, and he threw in another 40 yards on four receptions. So he's the bell cow there. Tennessee's run defense has not been very good. They're giving up 5.9 yards per carry to opposing running backs. So I like that play. The other guy I like is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Obviously, he hasn't had the week he had in week one since then. 
But one of the key things, especially PPR DraftKings, he's had 11 receptions over the last two weeks. He's had at least 15, at least 16 touches every single week. That New England defense does not look particularly good this season. They've played some good offenses, but I don't think they're they're average at best. And they look the Cam Newton's probably gonna put up some points. So you know, I think he's going to have heavy involvement, pass game and run game, and he's only 6,400 now. He's, I think he's dropped like 800 since week two. So I think he's a really good value play. I agree. So the last thing for the defenses, um, and, and not to pick on, you know, we've picked enough on the Falcons offense and then to pick on your Giants, but I like the Rams at 3,900. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I know I mentioned that they've given up points, but the Giants can give up sacks. The Rams are good at getting to the quarterback. And I know they've played three good defenses in the Steelers, the Bears, and the Niners, but they've scored 16, 13, and nine points in three games. They were without Saquon Barkley. Um, I mean, the Rams are at home. The Giants are, you know, traveling across the country. It's it's a lot of things that should make an advantage for the Rams' defense. They're 3900 which is expensive, but the last few weeks you've wanted to play one of those top defenses. You looked at the Colts last week. They were the most expensive defense. I'm pretty sure they scored the most points last week. I think they had two defense touchdowns. So yeah. you want to look at these matchups because there's some really bad offenses in the NFL, if you get one of those bad offenses against a good defense, I am a great, just a good defense. You want to look at that. This is a potential for that right here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to, to the point about the Rams against the Giants, in a season-long fantasy, I usually try to avoid ever carrying two defenses because I just think it's kind of a waste. You're better off having you know somebody's handcuffed just in case because that can hit big. Last week, I picked up the Rams to be my second defense, so I wouldn't have to try and beat anybody out on the waiver wire this week. <laughs> but uh, so to your point, the Colts defense was the most expensive mm-hmm. last week. I was scrolling through these defenses, and I was like, ah, I don't really like anyone who's not super expensive. And then I looked down, the Colts are 3,300 against the Bears. Why do we believe in the Bears' offense at all? Because they scored against the Falcons and the fourth quarter against the Lions after all their corners got hurt. What the Bears couldn't score twenty points against the Giants. I, I don't. I know it was Trubisky and Foles is probably a little bit better. But again, this Colts defense—they haven't really played a whole lot of great offenses. They've been the Jags, Vikings, and Jets, so it's not great. But again, I don't think the Bears are good. And in those first three games, 225 yards a game, 15 points a game. They have a 35% pressure rate, so they're going to get after the quarterback. I have the Indy, I think in every DraftKings lineup I do, I think I'm going to have Indy at 3,300. I like that. The Tampa Bay Bucks are my next one, 3,400. They've been really underrated. They have not gotten the attention yeah. that they deserve. Um, they are coming off of a week where they just a grin. I know the Broncos are having some issues, but they had six sacks that followed up a week where I believe they had five. So that's 11 sacks in their last two weeks. They had two interceptions as well. And they're facing a rookie quarterback and Herbert and a Chargers team that could not hold on to the ball last week with four turnovers. I mean, to me, 
when I see good defense versus a rookie quarterback, uh, especially one that's pretty good against the run, so it's not like the Chargers yeah. are just going to be able to run the ball and take it out of Herbert's hands, I could see the Bucks both getting a good bit of sacks and also forcing some turnovers in that game. And again, for 3400 you're not it's not costing you a ton of money uh and it's a and it's a good matchup yeah and it's it's not like they're going to be running out there with some vanilla defense todd bowles is going to come after him with some interesting looks that herbert will have not seen before all right so i'm going all the way down last week my super value play of the giants blew up in my face this week i'm going with the houston texans Again, we went over this before. Their first three teams they faced were Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. Do I think this is a particularly good defense? No, but they're better than they've looked because they've played really good offenses. And despite that, they're seventh in explosive plays. So that's 15 yards or more. They're seventh in explosive plays allowed despite playing those three teams. And that's important because Kirk Cousins has thrown six interceptions on 78 passes. <laughs> So if you make him methodically work downfield, you're going to have opportunities. Now, obviously, Dalvin Cook's starting to rev up. This is another one. It's a $2,500 defense. This is like bottom 10 in DraftKings. It could blow up in your face. But you're also facing a guy who threw six picks and a defense that is going to have their easiest game of the year so far. So for a super value play, I like Houston at $2,500. So I have one other I want to give. The Chargers at $2,900. I think it just needs to be reminded that the Chargers are one of the best defenses in football. They've had at least two sacks in each game. They had two sacks last week against the Panthers. The Panthers did not kill them. I mean, I think Bridgewater threw for like 240 yards. They had no running uh, individual running back with more than 50 yards. They just kept turning the ball over, and the Panthers took advantage of it. They scored 21 points. The Chiefs scored 23 points, and Patrick Mahomes threw it 47 times for only 300 yards. Like, their secondary is legit. Um, they they uh, held Edwards Hilaire to 38 yards on 10 carries. If Mahomes wouldn't have had the six carries for 54 yards, I really feel they would have lost that game. And I know a lot of people kind of laughed at their week one performance as Joe Burrow looked really good, and, you know, well, Burrow had his worst game by far. He was 23 of 36 yeah. for 193 and a pick. They didn't allow Mixon to get going. Burrow did have the eight carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. The Chargers are a legit defense. I'm still not sold on the Buccaneers' offense. Tom Brady always, I mean, it's been for at least the last five, six years. The thing he struggles with is when you get guys at his feet, pressure in his face. The Chargers should do that. Again, they've had at least two uh, sacks. In each game this week. So if you're looking for a cheaper defense at 2900 I could see the Chargers being a surprising play this week that would work out. It does scare me a little bit that they're going across country to play the Bucks in an early game. But I think from what I've read with COVID and everything, teams are mm. typically going over early anyway. I haven't done enough of the data. I need to ask my buddy Allen if it's showing up in those games. But I just think that if you can hold Patrick Mahomes – uh, you know, to 300 yards on 47 throws. And the Buccaneers really don't have a great running game. They don't really have a running back that they can turn to. I mean, I guess maybe Fournette, but we'll see what he can do. Jones is not sure either. If they make Brady throw a lot, you look what happened in the New Orleans game, which that was the same deal. Brady threw two picks. He didn't look very good. The last couple of weeks, they've been more balanced. 
and their offenses look better. So the Chargers could be a sleeper as well this week. The only word of caution I would throw on the Chargers is Melvin Ingram is on IR now. So you are losing one of their two premier pass rushers there. But I still think for that value, that's a reasonable play. Like, I don't think you're seeing, like, like I, the Packers against the Falcons are that same price range. I would much rather have the Chargers. I, I want no, I have no interest in any defense ever in an Atlanta Falcons game. That's just a rule this year. Yeah, I think that the the over has hit in all three games. I told Alan that I thought the over was going to drive Vegas crazy this year with the Falcons, and we yeah. are well on our way <laughs> because last or two weeks ago it was the uh, the Cowboys game. The yeah, over I think like, was like fifty eight points, and Alan's like, "That's a lot." I go, "Dude, they will torch that <laughs> seventy nine points." They had that done yeah. before the fourth quarter, oh, so uh, they're going to go over in a lot of games. Uh, anything else you want to discuss, Joe? Before we get out of here. Uh, who who do you got? Heat or Lakers? I like the Lakers. I picked them uh, the entire year. I, I I know this shouldn't count into it, but with Kobe's death, I thought that pretty much solidified for it. I think that he is one of those few players that means so much to a franchise. Uh, not only what he means personally to LeBron James, that I just felt like that you were going to see, you know, quote unquote, that Mamba mentality from the entire organization and that was proven by LeBron James reaction when they won the Western Conference final which was pretty remarkable to see him there sitting on the floor stone uh, you know faced I think yeah. Miami is a terrific team and if they shoot the lights out with three I mean any team can win a series but I expect AD to go bananas I expect LeBron James I mean it, it's you know it's too early to be really talking about this because I don't who knows how long he's gonna play at this level but He's like 35, 36 years old, and I would yeah. still say he's one of the top three players in the league where, like, if I had a game I had to win, I'd take him right off the bat, like, you know, over Giannis, over a lot of guys, uh, you know, maybe Kawhi, and, you know, I don't even know if there's two or three. I guess Anthony Davis belongs in this with what he's doing, but um, it's just remarkable, and those role players, it was a very smart moves that they made. A lot of people laugh when they have guys like Rondo and Dwight Howard and these guys, but... They're, they're defensive players, and they know how to win, and they're just so long that I think in athletic, they're going to give issues to Miami that Miami has not seen with any team in the East so far. Yeah, I, I wanted to pick the Heat so bad because I, I can't stand the Lakers. And I, I love Jimmy Butler, one of my ex-Bulls. But, I mean, they have the two best players in the series, and it's not just the two best players. It's two of the five best players in the NBA, and that's – that's a lot to overcome. And like you said, I think Rondo and Howard are huge in this series because if they're going for a bunch of unproven guys, I'd worry about it. But, you know, we've all seen playoff Rondo. It's a real thing. <laughs> and they're going to beat the hell out of those guys. I mean, we saw with what they did to Jokic, you know, Murray. Like, they're the big, bad team. They're almost like, you know, sort of that Pistons team in today's NBA that they're going to they're gonna rough you up. And they got big guys to where they can do it because they got – you know, what, 12 fouls with McGee and Howard that they're just going to pound you because they know late they're going to play Davis at the five anyway. Uh, and I, I see them trying to get Bam in foul trouble. I see them going at him. That was what was most impressive was the way they beat the Nuggets because, you know, they came back from the first two series down 3-1. It was so impressive. And the Lakers yeah. just, I mean, they just bullied them. And I think that's what they're going to try to do in this series too. Uh, and Miami's roster has shrunk 
you know, they were so impressive when they had nine games, they were really down to seven, and that's not going to help them against uh, the Lakers. And they're just, they're going to have to shoot the lights out. I don't know if they can do that. Right. Um, four times in seven games is asking a it's lot. It's going to be tough. To kill them from three. Uh, and then, well, it. We, one more thing before we got because we talked this on uh, the gambling show. I think this championship is actually worth a championship and a half. I believe each championship is worth, you know, different amounts because of the road you have to go through, the circumstances, whatever. I think this has been one of the tougher championships to ever win because there's literally no home field uh, advantage. Everybody's playing so many games in a short, confined area. You've been kept away from your family, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think this actually made this championship more impressive. I have a really strong feeling that if LeBron loses, you can have all these people coming out of the woodwork <laughs> saying it's one of oh, the harder sure. championships to win. I have a feeling if LeBron wins, people are going to come out of the woodwork saying, well, this was an easy championship. It shouldn't even count as a whole championship. He didn't beat nobody. Right. The, the, the Bucks got eliminated. Exactly. I, just, I, I, don't, um, I don't buy that for a second because this was just an open gym challenge, basically. And that's what I've loved about it is you throw a ball out there, throw it in the air, and let them go. Uh, what is your thought on that? I mean, I, I think you just look at what happened in the East. The Bucks were the best team in the NBA statistically. Obviously, you know, I think we all had questions again about whether they were really on the same level as, you know, the Lakers or the Clippers. But they were an elite team, and then they didn't have home court. And even before Giannis went down, it was clear Miami was going to win that series. And then... I mean, Miami has been the biggest beneficiary because yeah, they, they had to go to Boston. They had to go yeah. to Milwaukee. And then the Lakers, they were the one seed and not having home court. I guess maybe it mattered in some game ones. Like <laughs> They struggled a little in some game ones. But, yeah, they've had no issue whatsoever. They've – I yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I think – I think, you know, obviously it's a rough deal if you're in Milwaukee and you bust your ass for 60, 70 games and don't get home court. But, yeah, it's just been straight up. It's like, let's see who's the best on a neutral court. It's the NCAA tournament. Do you and think that one other thing? Look like the best. Do you think the NBA is on to something, as I do, that this should be when the playoffs and finals always in? To me, start the season at Christmas, maybe even just after it. Whether you condense the regular season, I, I know they're probably not going to do that, but I love the way you had the playoffs going through the summer, which is normally a dead time. I think the ratings have been up. I know with 2020, that's hard to know if that's, you know, because people have nothing to do or if that's just because, but I love it. You're finishing up right as NFL gets going. Instead of starting the regular season kind of right in the middle of the NFL and it's going all the way through the sprint, you know, if they started around Christmas, yeah. you'd only have basically a month of NBA games and NFL's over. I think that they've kind of stumbled onto something that's going to make them successful in the years to come if that's what they decide to do. Well, what? Because normally they start at what? The very end of October, I think. So I think they moved it all the way up, though, to where it was like early October, not the early, end of it. Maybe. I think the last two years. But I, I think I, I would prefer it not run into football season. But I think if the NBA ended in like early mid August, so it's only the preseason, which who knows what the preseason is going to be like in the NFL anymore after this year, too. But yeah, like who needs like two months of just baseball? Like nobody wants that. <laughs> I can't watch anymore. Like, I love my Braves. Well, I don't even take a I love them anymore. I watch and root for my Braves. 
Uh, they were on today, but I just I can't get into baseball. My, my Twins lost their 18th straight playoff game, so it's just. All who my, are they? See, this is how I don't know. But who are they facing? They well, they're eliminated now by Houston, who I think finished under 500. So what? They so, win two games and they're done. Yeah, because this year it's a uh, oh, that's right, the best three, three five three. seven seven. So but that was at Houston, right? For all those games. No, because we, oh, oh. so, we were the best record at home this season. Well, so it makes you feel any better. The Twins two made runs. like nine-year-old Keith cry. I remember the World Series. I went to bed. We were winning uh, uh, game six. Woke up, finally lost it. And then game seven, I went to bed when it was 0-0. Woke up and cried because I found out we had lost. And, you know, I mean, upstairs, that was when baseball was it for me. So uh, it, it was rough. If if that series had gone the other way, I would actually be a Braves fan because my dad got Sports Illustrated in 1992. He ordered it, and it came with the year in sports, 91 VHS tape. And as like a four-year-old, I would watch that like every morning. I was like addicted to this thing. So every team that won in the calendar year, like the one the actual championship in that year became my team. So it was, I was a field goal away from being a Bills fan, which up until this year would have been horrifying. <laughs> Um, well, Jordan handled the Lakers, so that wasn't really much of an issue. I think the Penguins beat the uh, formerly Minnesota North Stars, now the Dallas Stars, and then that crazy seven-game series, Kirby Puckett, made me a Twins fan instead of a Braves fan. It is a great see, I always tell people, though, you know, again, just for Atlanta fans getting into the heartbreak, it's like, well, sat in seven, the next year they lost to the Blue Jays. I believe it was in, it was either six or seven. Uh, they had the Yankee series in 96 where they're up 2 nothing going home. They lost four in a row. I mean, we've been teased so many times, and then everybody always says, you know, the 95 championship doesn't really count because that was a strike-shortened season. It was a weird year, although I argue that Indians team was as good as any team that was in the World Series for that decade, and they just, you know, being Cleveland. Basically, it was Atlanta was a little bit less of a loser than Cleveland <laughs> at that point in time. Now I wonder, you know, how that would go. Uh, exactly so but uh i really enjoyed it joe we're gonna hopefully have some uh good picks this week i will post this to the group um and um we'll talk soon but this has been another or actually do you have anything to plug real quick before we get out here uh no i think i think i'm good Ho- hopefully everyone skipped the uh debate yesterday because oh my god <laughs> but it uh it's sad man uh and again we're an hour into this so not trying to get political but (laughs) it just it's sad to me that there's such a large population of the country that supports a guy that's just an asshole i mean he's he's just not a good person that's that's just objectively true he's an asshole i think even the people who like him they like that he's an asshole like everyone knows (laughs) that's wrong though i mean to me that's wrong because it's like I know that we all have assholes in our life that we love. And I mean, that's, yeah. you know, people, Jimmy Butler but, is one of the assholes that I love. But you don't expi- you know what I'm saying? It's the highest office in the land. And to yeah, me, it yeah. should be at least a somewhat, you know, decent human being. And it's just sad that you finally have an African-American president. And whether you like Obama or not, that that's okay. That's up to your, you know, political beliefs yeah. or whatever. He was a decent human being, like a really nice guy who obviously cared about people and others and stuff. And then to go from him uh, to this, it's just sad. And I, I'm not, you know, crazy about a 76-year-old man, you know, Joe Biden, <laughs> who is a decent man, but is somebody who has definitely lost his fastball taking over. But, 
I mean, it's like where I tell people at this point, there could be two Republicans running and I would be running to the polls to vote for anybody other the than other guy. Yeah, yeah no, because absolutely. it's just like I just I worry about what it's, you know, the long lasting effect it's going to happen. Just the way people treat each other uh, when the you know president of the United States wouldn't let somebody get five words out without, you know, screaming down his throat. We had to turn it off. So. But um, so this has been a daily, weekly fantasy, or excuse me, the weekly daily fantasy podcast. <laughs> we apologize for the little NBA and then political world at the end of that, but <laughs> I do enjoy talking, and I know Joe does as well. But for Keith Fleming and Joe Matz, I hope this is a really good week for us. We will post our picks in the podcast, and Joe, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, have a good one.